At this time, I'd like to welcome in our chapel as well. They're going to be viewing in as they do every Sunday. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Read along with me. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we ask you to speak, Father, to every heart in this room. From the new believer to the most mature believer, to the unbeliever. This is a time for all of us, not just a few, Father, but us all to hear from your word. And so, God, I ask you, as I hide behind your word, that they may only see your truth. And give me boldness as I stand on your word to proclaim your truth, Father, that transforms lives. I pray for every person in this room, God, would you speak to them? Would you dissect their hearts with your word? Would you expose the thing they're wrestling with internally? Would you uproot anything that doesn't belong in their hearts and in minds? God, and by the end of service, I pray you get all the credit and glory you deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And let's thank our band leading us so beautifully as they always, always do. This morning, we are entering what's called the Advent series. This word Advent means the coming. And so what we are doing is looking forward to the coming of Christ and the birth of Christ. And this will be highlighted as it is every Sunday, uh, but even more so this entire month as we look towards Christmas, uh, remembering the reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of the birth of Christ unashamedly. What I want you to do this morning, if you would, follow along with me in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I urge you, we purchase plenty of Bibles to give away for free. Uh, we'd love to you, for you to grab one on the way out in the bookstore. Uh, also, I know some of you use tablets and all kinds of stuff. Um, but I'd love for us to follow along because I want you to not only hear, but I want you to see the Word of God and to see how it is parsed and to see how His truths become exposed. No matter what you came in here needing this morning, Jesus will always fulfill what we need. There's a difference between what we want and what we need, and Jesus will always fulfill what we need, not necessarily what we want. But it's the Word of God and the truth of God that does that. As we think about the coming of Christ, I want us to listen to this very quickly, um, there's obviously the Old Testament and the New Testament, which I believe the Old Testament, it's beautiful in its nature because it represents God's timeless character, meaning that what you read of God in the Old Testament is still who God is today. Uh, but what you also see in the Old Testament, many Christians are often afraid to go into the Old Testament, but the Old Testament's actually, it's marvelous, it's beautiful because it pushes you to see the coming of Christ. Christ is all in the Old Testament. It's not separated. It is married together and should never be divorced. So here's what I want us to know. The Old Testament speaks of Christ 
over 300 times. And that only speaks of Christ over 300 times, but it's fulfilled in the New Testament. It's what we call a prophecy. So the Old Testament prophesies about Christ over 300 times and is fulfilled in the New Testament. I want you to keep in mind one of the texts that we're going to look at today is Isaiah 9. It's speaking about the birth of Christ. I want you to know that this didn't come to pass until 700 years later with the birth of Christ. So as you can imagine, this was spoken 700 years prior 700 years went by, and then finally it came true. There are over 300 circumstances like this throughout Scripture. I'll just mention a few. Genesis chapter 3 speaks of a seed of a woman, the virgin birth, which is then spoken about and fulfilled in the New Testament of Galatians and Matthew. Genesis chapter 3 also speaks about uh, the bruise of Satan's head, which Hebrews chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 3 speaks of. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, same verse, speaks of Christ's hill, would be bruised with nails on the cross. And then you look at Matthew 27 and Luke 24, it's then fulfilled. Genesis chapter 5 speaks of the bodily ascension to heaven, which we see in Mark chapter 16 and Revelation chapter 12. Then Genesis chapter 9 speaks of the God of Shem will be the, the son of Shem, fulfilled in Luke chapter 3. Genesis chapter 12 speaks of the seed of Abraham will bless all nations, fulfilled in Galatians chapter 3 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts 26. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, the promise made to Abraham's seed fulfilled Galatians chapter 3. Genesis chapter 14, a priest. You guys get the picture? Over 300 are like that that have been fulfilled in the New Testament. I want us to take a look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is a prophet. We call him a major prophet, and there are minor prophets. The difference between major and minor prophets really is the length of the book. It doesn't mean one was better than the other. Jonah would be seen as a minor prophet. Isaiah is seen as a major prophet. Not because uh, Isaiah's message is more important than Jonah's, but it simply has to do with the length of the book. It's all equally as important. This, as we take a look in this, is Isaiah being a major prophet who is coming to a group of um, unrepentant, rebellious people, speaking to them about the coming of Christ and the importance about turning from their sins and turning to God. He is letting them know there will be a time when Christ comes. Throughout the Old Testament, the Israelites are looking for this Messiah. They're looking for this King. They're looking for this coming. There is this hope that they have for this one who is going to come and save them from the hardships of the world. And Isaiah begins to speak on that. If you look at Isaiah verse 6, I want you to also know if you're a visitor, uh, maybe you're atheist or you're agnostic, this is a great Sunday because this is going to speak to a lot of our doctrinal beliefs. The Christian foundation is based off what we're going to share today. For some might seem a bit lunatic, but it's, it's what we are, it's who we are. All in one verse, we will expose the humanity of Jesus. We will expose the divinity of Jesus. We will expose the sovereignty of Jesus. We will expose the identity of Jesus. These four things are what separate us from any other religion. It's incredibly important that you know this, and there are thousands of world religions out there. This separates us from everybody else. Everybody else's God is in the tomb. Our God rose. This separates us completely. 
Look at the very first line. I'm going to use this up here because I really want us to be able to engage to see. It's unbelievable how deep and rich Scripture is that in one verse we get so many theological and doctrinal truths that our foundation and our faith begins to build off these foundational truths. It has to build off these foundational truths. Without these, there is no foundation. In fact, have you ever played Jenga? Anybody ever played that? I am the king. I beat my wife all the time, and I love it. I would never give her the mic, by the way. What normally happens is Jenga doesn't fall apart until we take away one of the foundational blocks. In Christianity, if you take away any of these foundational blocks in your life or begin to question them, which is not bad to question, but I will tell you everything else up top begins to crumble. Nothing else makes sense. These are the foundational blocks. The first thing you see, it speaks of the humanity of Jesus. Remember, this didn't happen until 700 years later, but here's what Isaiah tells them. Uh, All of you need hope. There is hope. A son, a child will be born to us. Is this thing on? This thing is not on. A child will be born to us. What is that speaking to? I was trying to give you an idea of what a prophecy is like. It comes later on. It comes later. Not always on our time, but God's time. Amen. I'm going to reel it in. I bet the guy, the media guy is sitting there laughing. They're messing with me. They have so much power right now. I haven't given them a shout-out in quite some time. Good up for our media guys out in the back. For this point on, there won't be any mistakes. Watch. For a child will be born to us. Look at this. All in one sentence, this here is speaking to his humanity. Now, why is this important? I want you to, we're about to see here in Scripture, I want you to think about this just for a minute. Um, Isaiah is speaking to hopeless people, saying there is hope to come. And here is what it's going to look like. A child is going to be born from a virgin. Isaiah 7 tells us that, by the way. And this is what it speaks of, his humanity. That Think about this, that God is going to bundle himself up and place himself in a womb of a virgin. What? God in a womb? So God is going to send a child. This is the humanity of Jesus placed in a womb of a virgin Mary. Then he's going to be born and live a sinless life. Why is he going to send a child? Well, remember Isaiah speaking to their brokenness and hopelessness. So he's saying there is hope, true hope on the way. You guys have put your hope in all these kings. Like this is, I love our country, but let me, let me just tell you, church, our hope is not in the White House. It's in the church house. That's where our hope belongs. Now, I believe, I believe fully, First Timothy tells us this, to pray for the authorities who are in charge. We need to be praying for the authorities. But our hope has to be in the coming of Christ. It has to be. There is no other hope. Now, so he is telling them there is a greater hope. 
Israel, you're hoping in all these kings, these fleshly kings, they're not going to be what you need. I'm going to send you the ultimate king. I'm going to bottle him up, and I'm going to put him in a virgin, and she will give birth, and he will be 100% human. By the way, the first heresy against the church, you, you look back in church history, you know what the first heresy was against the church? Gnosticism. That, that the body of Jesus, the flesh of Jesus, really didn't, didn't hold the deity of God. They don't believe that's true. That is false. It's humanity. There's no way Jesus could have been 100% human. How? That was the first heresy against the church. They couldn't even defend the humanity of Jesus. Most Christians could not defend the humanity of Jesus. How can Jesus be 100% human? I'm going to get to that in a minute, but he needed to be. Same verse, look what happens. So remember, for a child will be born. I also want you to think about this. Jesus was present before he was born. Let me just stop right there. I know some of us, are, we're deep, but I, let me just stop right there. I want you to think about what this means for you. I want you to stop and think about what this means. Jesus didn't come on the scene just when he was flesh. Jesus was on the scene before creation. In fact, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, come let us make man in our image. This is the Trinity head being represented in Genesis chapter 1, which means what? Before creation, Jesus was already present. Why was Jesus already present before creation? Because God had foreknowledge that humanity would fall and we would sin. So way before any of you were present, he knew how much you would mess up your life and how much we would rebel and how much we would disobey and how much we would sin. That before you were even created, before you were thought in your mother and father's mind before you were even a seed in the womb, he already provided for your greatest need. If, if he had Christ, our greatest need, waiting for us to be our ultimate provision, why in the world do we worry about anything else? If he can provide our, for our salvation, why do we worry about anything else? He, has, he is ultimate provision. He not only has provision, he is provision. So then you get into this part. He had to be 100% human. Jesus had to be 100% human. When do we see his human characteristics all throughout the New Testament said he was tempted by Satan. It says he was tired, another passage. And then it says he was asleep on the boat. Remember that? I mean, these are all human characteristics. I don't never heard anything else about God sleeping or God growing weary. Then he died. God doesn't die. That's speaking all to his humanity. You guys tracking with me? Same verse. Look, look how rich this is. And you're going to need to go home and just sit on this. this. This isn't enough. You need to go home and just sit and think, oh my gosh, before I did this, 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 and this, God already provided his son for me. Now, I want you to see this. A son will be given to us. What is this speaking to? It transitions. This is 14 words if you count here. The first seven speaks to his humanity. The second seven talks about a son. What son? Son of God speaks to what? His divinity, his deity. And nobody else has but him. So now we go transition from, I don't know how our 
our minds can do this. Our finite minds can transition. It was hard for me to transition from Jesus being 100% human to now Jesus being 100% divine. Don't worry about spelling, all right? 100% divine. All 14 words. Same sentence. By the way, disregard, disregard this, disregard the comics. This wasn't here when this was originally written. There were no grammatical corrections. There was horrible unwritten sentence, uh, run-ons everywhere. So, in one sentence, speaks of 100% div- human, 100% divine, 100% God. You guys get the picture here? God in the flesh came down for humanity. Now, then it speaks to this. Humanity, divinity, sovereignty. What does this mean? Uh, Back in this time, when the kings would be kings, they would put a robe on their shoulder. The robe on their shoulder represented the burden it would be to, to lead and shoulder the government because it was such a burden. So they would put a robe on the king's shoulders to say, this government is now your burden to carry. So what this is speaking to right here is that now this Jesus, this sovereign Jesus will carry the government of the kingdom and that he will be the ultimate king. He is above kings. He is even above Satan, but he is going to shoulder the government of the kingdom and the earthly government. What, why? What is this saying? It puts Jesus back in his proper seat that no matter what goes on before us, Jesus is still on his throne, his sovereignty. Then look at this. Humanity, divinity, sovereignty, and then his identity. Humanity, divinity, sovereignty, his identity. Look at the names that it uses. Now, some scholars, if you dig a little deeper, some scholars say, no, this is not speaking about Jesus. This is speaking about the Davidic king that's coming out of the lineage of King David, but it's not Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't know about any other king that's named Wonderful Counselor. I don't know any other king that's named Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He is the only God, the only king who are named these things, not only named it, but he is that thing. He fulfills these things. He is the fulfillment of these things. There is no other king out there like that. None. So that's why I encourage you. I know many of us listen to scholars on podcasts and read books, but I will tell you, um, listen to the Spirit before you do a scholar of God. So Speaks, his to, speaks now to his identity, and he calls him Wonderful Counselor. This shows intimacy with humanity. Why is this so important during this time? Remember, God was so far away that only the high priest can go on behalf of people. So what Isaiah is saying is there's going to be one day where you can call him Abba, which means daddy. That's an intimate term they would use in the Greek because apart from then, they would say God is so distant. But now Jesus changed the scene and said, no, you can call him Abba Father now. Because of me, he is daddy. There is intimacy there. So what he is saying here is you can call him wonderful counselor. That speaks to intimacy. Someone you can go to and who will listen and who will guide you and who will lead you. So here's the thing about counselors, and I'm very thankful for counselors and even Christian counselors. Um, 
And people have been transformed by counselors. And I'm just going to tell you now, I'm all for that. But nobody can change a life like the wonderful counselor. Nobody. And what often happens, what often happens is that we run from person to person to person to person to person to person to to make us feel a certain way and nothing works. We run to church to church to church or Bible study to Bible study to Bible study and no one's giving us the answer that we want, right? Or they do give us the answer we want, so we want to go to someone to give us the answer we don't want. And I wonder if sometimes in my life when I've done that, the reason why nobody gives me the answer that I want is because God's saying, hey, I am the only answer. Come to me. I'm not going to let anybody else fulfill you, and I'm going to do it on purpose so you can learn your intimacy is right here. I am the wonderful counselor. Now, mighty God. Okay, another name for Jesus. Eternal Father. Let me sit right here. Prince of Peace. You know what this word means in Hebrew? Shalom. See, speak, people, we often speak of peace of, of feeling, right? You ever, use that, you ever use that phrase, I don't have any peace? I just don't feel peace? We see it as almost an emotion or a feeling we're looking for before God gives us the green light. The problem is Scripture doesn't speak of it as a feeling. When you dig, dig a little bit deeper... Shalom actually means to be complete, and it means wholeness. If you look up the Hebrew word, it's complete and whole. So stay with me. You're going to have to see this. So what is this saying? Jesus is the prince of peace. He is the prince of wholeness. Why does he need to be the prince of wholeness? I'm glad you asked. The reason why he needed to be 100% human and 100% divine is because in Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world. And before sin entered, humanity, Adam and Eve, were like this with God, right? Humanity and divinity were, were able to communicate just like this, right? Shake your head, yeah? You don't believe me? It was true. Read the Genesis, I promise. When did it break up? When sin entered. Now, watch this. Remember, it was like this. Humanity, divinity, in the garden, sin entered. What happened? Humanity's over here, right? God's over here, separated, right? You now see the separation. Why? Because of sin. Well, there's a sin problem. Humans separated from God. There's a sin problem. What does God do? He sends his son, who's 100% human, 100% divine, who becomes the mediator for broken people, sinful people who need a savior. And here's what Jesus does. He takes the need of humanity and couples it with the holiness of divinity. And he is the prince of peace because peace was broken. If peace means wholeness, peace was broken in Genesis chapter 3, right? So when Jesus came, because he is the prince of peace, he is the prince of wholeness and restoration. So which means he restored what was broken. What was broken? Man and God. And so when he came as the prince of peace, he came as the wholeness of humanity and divinity, bringing it back together. Which, when this happens, it is the atonement of our sins, which is what Jesus is. When he died on the cross, he took humanity 
with God's divinity, and it met right there. And the blood of Christ covered the sin of humanity, and human's greatest need was married to God's holiness. And God's holiness and God's Son covered man's greatest need, the Prince of Peace. So when we speak of of this Prince of Peace, what we are speaking of is the Jesus who brings wholeness. Now here's, here's something you must understand. Wholeness is here when you're in Christ, but it's not yet here. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't to me either. Because of Christ, we are made one with the Father, so relationship is restored, yet we still live in our flesh, so we're still sinful, imperfect people, which means that total peace, total shalom, total restoration hadn't fully taken place until Christ comes back for his bride and when we're with the Father, then we are full and when we are whole. You can be the most mature Christian in the room, but you're still broken. Do you, do you understand that? Christian, never forget your brokenness before Christ. Because the cross not only saved you, but the cross sustains you. You know what's beautiful about this? Listen to this. Stay with me. And I'm glad I see all of you are. Your eyes are on me. Is this good stuff for you? Listen, listen, it's not done. The Prince of Peace. Matthew 21. Triumphal entry. How does Jesus come in to Jerusalem? On a donkey. What did a donkey represent? Peace. Kings, when something was broken, um, with another king or another official, they would hop on a donkey and they would come into the city or, or town they wanted to make peace with. And the fact that they were on a donkey showed that they were coming in peace, right? I don't know why I did this. I think I was the donkey move. I don't know, it just it kind of just happened. It's like, peace, donkey. Don't stay with me. It's rich. Jesus, the first time he came into Jerusalem, on a donkey, just very calm, said, peace, I'm here to make peace. What would have happened if he'd come on on just a wild stallion horse? Huh? What? It means war, right? All right, don't, don't, don't lose me. Matthew 21, a donkey. Second coming, Revelation 19, a horse. Why? Because there is conflict in the world that will continue to be here. And he's allowing people to hear the word and to get saved, to be restored back to the Father. But when he comes back, and he will come back, Revelation 19 says he's going to come on a horse, like a warrior, to come get his bride and to fight and defeat evil once and for all. When he comes back, it's a horse this time. He means business. And at that moment in time, that's when we'll have true shalom, true restoration and peace, true wholeness. And when he comes back on that horse, so this prince of peace came in on a donkey the first time. And he'll come on a horse the second time, Revelation 19. What does that mean for you today? Number one, Listen, 
I get it. We hear this every Christmas. And there's something about the human wiring that some things become immune to us, right? Like this doesn't, this doesn't make us just sit in awe anymore. Because we're so well studied and we've read this so many times. And right now some of you are probably looking it up to be sure I'm telling the truth. I know how this works. I beg you, church, let this go from your head to your heart. You know what this did for me? And I have my doctorate in this stuff. But you know what this did for me? I was sitting there reading. I thought, oh my gosh. It all makes sense. He knew how jacked up I was going to be. He knew that I'd make mistakes. He knew that I'd say things I should have said. I thought things I should have thought. He knew. And before I messed up, he already provided. I can't even comprehend that. But you know what it made me do? I did, oh my goodness, I don't deserve it, God. I know I got these degrees, and I'm often think I'm more than I am, but my goodness, the fact that you would love me so much that you would bundle yourself up, God. God, the creator of the universe who hung the stars and the moon and the sun would bundle himself up and put himself in a virgin who would then walk a sinless life to be put on the cross for me. What did I do to deserve it? Nothing. My goodness, nothing. And he knew I'd mess up over and over and over. Do I have present shalom? Sometimes. But I look forward to the ultimate shalom of completeness and wholeness and to one day because of Christ stand before the Father in heaven. Can you imagine when he comes back on a horse one day? How do you want to be found? How do you want to be found when Christ comes back? Let's pray together. God, this morning I ask you for just repentant hearts, God, will you please, please allow us to repent and surrender to you, even for the Christians. We should have such a heart of thankfulness and gratefulness, God. We thank you for this church. We're not perfect, Father, but you died for it. This is your bride and you died for everybody in this room. With all eyes closed and heads bowed, listen, like I said before, the Sunday morning experience, no doubt, all throughout Old Testament, New Testament, it was created for Christians to come together and to worship together and to go out to a dying and broken world but I also acknowledge that sometimes people come in here looking for this love of Christ and this love of God. Maybe some of you are in here this morning and you're saying, man, I don't have peace. And I know what you mean. It's a feeling you're speaking of, but you're also right. What you're saying is you don't have wholeness. 
You're broken. And I get it. I've been there and I often still am there. But I want you to listen to this. That God loved you so much and he'd understand the lack of peace that you would have up to this point. And what he is offering you is his son who is the complete shalom, the restore, the completeness, the wholeness that he brings in your life. So if you're in this room and you're saying, that's me, I don't have any peace and I want it, will you just raise your hand, just me and you. I don't have any peace and I want it. Don't be afraid. Amen. Thank you for being honest back there. Anybody else all across the room? Maybe God's speaking right to you. Don't deny him speaking. Anybody else? Amen. Back there too. Thank you for being bold enough. Up there in the balcony. There are a lot of hands in the balcony. Thank you. Anybody else? Right here. Thank you, brother. I see you. Anybody else? Right here in front of me. Thank you. Anybody else? Right here, right in front of me. Anybody else? Their hands everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm proud of you guys. Anybody else? If you have your hand raised, I want you to pray this. It's not a magical prayer because this is like joining the team. There's going to be practice after this. But I want you to pray this. Say, Jesus, I don't have any peace. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. And today I ask you to come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And I promise to follow you the best that I can. With eyes closed and head bowed. If you, if you prayed that, will you just raise your hand and say, I surrender to you, Jesus. Amen. Say, I surrender. I have no peace. I surrender. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? There are a whole bunch of you. Anybody else? Amen. Anybody else up in the balcony? Amen. Anybody else over here? It's the best part of the service. Amen. Both hands up over here. Praise God. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Back here. Here's what we're going to do for you raising your hands. Amen right here. I know there are some students who gave their lives to Christ this morning as well. Here's what we're going to do in just a minute. I'm going to come back up to the stage. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing together. For those raising your hands, I know it can be nerve-wracking. You're going to have pastors up here. Here's all you have to say to a pastor. I want peace. They'll know what to do. They'll know how to pray with you. Father, I pray you give us boldness. I pray for the Christians in the room, God, that you realign us every Sunday. We may walk in humility, Father, but you may show us when we're weak. You may show us where we're weak, Father. And I pray that as Christians, we live a life of continual repentance. And God, I pray for those who raised their hands and others who couldn't, because it's hard for them. God, will you give them boldness to come down and say, I need peace. God, if you are calling, allow them to move on faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may stand as we sing together. Listen, if that is you, just come on. Pastors are up here. I promise we have a church that will cheer for you. We'll be excited for you. We'll walk with you. We'll love on you. If that is you, just come on.